You're listening to Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, which is part eight of our sermon series, This is Family. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Proverbs is just this incredible book of filled with platitudes and parental pearls of wisdom. And I'm convinced if you want to be a better parent, read through and go through the book of Proverbs consistently. It talks about the importance of growing in and passing on the wisdom of God. You really can't talk about God unless you begin to access and live in his wisdom. It talks about leading and trusting God or leading your children to and trusting God. It talks about how we speak in the use of our words. It talks about the traits that we need to be aware of in watching our sons and our daughters. It talks about dealing with money, about saving it, about investing it, about spending it, about how to take care of it. Talks about the value of work and responsibility and to teach our kids how to do that. Talks about the importance of discipline. I think one of the things that's critical for parents to understand is it's really hard to discipline your kids if you're not reasonably disciplined yourself. Proverbs will help you with that. Talks about developing character and a greater and deeper heart for God. And talks about just living a blessed life. And, and frankly, these are critical truths that all of us can be instilling in our children and in our grandchildren. I suppose a great way for me to kind of synthesize Proverbs uh, would be something like this. If you want to be a better parent, be a better person. If you want to be a better spouse, be a better person. And not just a better person, but ultimately uh, a more godly person where you're growing in the things of God. And that's why Proverbs is so practical and helpful. I want to talk today about something, and we'll take a couple of principles from Proverbs. But I really want to talk about today about giving this important thing called blessing to our children. We're not real familiar with it, but in the Hebrew life and in the Old Testament biblical times, a blessing was important. It was well understood in the family life of a Hebrew family where the dad would speak a blessing over his oldest and his kids. Ultimately, we see that in a couple of places in Genesis and in Genesis 49, and we're going to see it today. But while it's seen here as a one-time event, I want you to see it as an ongoing process. We're going to see it here with a dying father, Isaac, with his son, Jacob. But I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to say that, you know what? You can be doing this with your children as soon as you can start, as soon as they begin to understand your words and your love and your touch toward them. You can do this with your spouse. You can even do this at work in a lot of different ways. I don't know if you remember the story of Jacob and Esau as they battled for their father's blessing in Genesis 27, if you would turn there. Uh, but they begin to fight for it. There was the mother and Jacob. They, be, they basically worked together to deceive their father so that Jacob could get the blessing from the firstborn Esau. Uh, I'm not going to take time to unpack that, why it happened, how it happened. I would encourage you to do that. But I want to take the components of what it means 
to give a blessing to our kids. In our culture, we're not familiar with this concept of blessing, uh, but I believe it can have a great effect on our lives. Think about your life. How many of us today would go, you know, something? I just, I, I wish I had the approval. I wish I would have left home with the approval of my father or my mother or both of them. And, and we begin to see the effects of that on people's lives. When I was 30, I wasn't, I told you a number of times, I wasn't close to my father. Uh, we, had a, we had a relationship. It was neither bad nor good. It was just there. And then when I was 33, the Lord challenged me to begin to take the initiative in doing that. And I did. Before that time, I really didn't think a lot about what my father thought of me. Because growing up, I didn't have affirmation. He didn't do things really with me. He was just there. It's interesting because he died when I was 33 after I'd start, started this initiation process. And from that time on, there were times where I'd be sitting there, and I still do today, where I think like this. I go, what would my dad think? I'd love to be able to call my dad and get his thoughts on this. What would my dad say about this? What would my dad say about that? How would my dad give me wisdom in this area? And then here's the one that I usually come across that when at different times in my life, I'll ask this question. What would my dad think of me? What would my dad think about what I'm doing and how I'm doing and how I'm doing it? Would he be able to say for the first time in my life, even as an adult, I'm proud of you. I'm thrilled with what you're doing. You've really become this or that. I oftentimes think about that. What would my dad say to me? And what this is doing, it's leading me to make sure that I let my kids and my grandkids here now know my thoughts about them. I want them to understand. I want to be able to speak blessing and life into their life because I believe it's an incredible treasure that we can give those people that we love and that are around us. And so if you're not a father today, I would say maybe it's people around you at work. Maybe it's your other family. These principles are kind of unilaterally applied, even though it really starts with a father. Because I believe there's two kinds of people. There's those who grow up and they receive the blessing like Jacob's going to, and they're those who grow up without it like Esau. I was talking to a friend recently and we were sharing stories and, and I hadn't spent a lot of time before with him before. And so I got to just probe and ask about his growing up years. And he began to just share with me, you know, some of the issues, some of the things that took place with his father, wasn't real close to him. He was an alcoholic. Uh, I said, well, man, you're probably really close to your mom since you spent a lot of time with her. And he goes, no, I really wasn't either. Uh, close to her either. And, you know, there was just situations where my dad wasn't affirming and uh, there, there just wasn't a lot of relationship. I was just kind of left on my own. And then he made this really powerful statement. He goes, you know something? I didn't come to Christ till I was in my 40s. And there's so many things that I did in, before I come to Christ that I regret that I probably would have never done if I would have just had some guidance. And, and that's why, loved ones, I think this blessing and the components that I'm going to talk about of this blessing become so important. Because when, like Esau, you don't receive it, you can really kind of be frustrated sometimes in life and not really understand what's going on inside of me. Because maybe that blessing, 
The words, the touch, the things we're going to talk about are just out of reach. Maybe you live your life because you feel like, oh, I just, I didn't get enough A's or enough B's. I wasn't quite good enough. I wasn't as good as my other sibling. Everything in your life just kind of feels like it's out of reach. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. And then you begin to kind of feel just a little bit gypped. Well, what, what, what did my parents really think about me? How come they didn't give me some words or some affirmation? And, and then for some of us, we lived in this emotional minefield. It's a place where parents' anger was often explosive or it was exposed. And you begin to fall back and you weren't really emotionally engaged. And what that's led to later in your life or as an adult, maybe you were a little bit fearful of intimacy. You were unable to uh, uh, emotionally engage in the family that you married into. And then even worse, it can begin to affect your relationship with your heavenly father. Because all you begin to see is that your heavenly father, that God is simply a bigger one of what you had in your home. And you're waiting for him to get mad because you didn't perform well, because you did something wrong. You're waiting for him to cast the bony stripe, point the bony finger at you. Or you just think he's kind of aloof. He doesn't care. He's got his own stuff. He's out there. The problem with that is, is you can begin to mistrust Father God. And then you begin to see yourself as a servant of God instead of, a, instead of a beloved child, a beloved daughter, a beloved son. And you begin to live your life on a performance treadmill. So the things I want to talk to you about today are things that maybe you didn't get them. And you say, I miss those. Or maybe you haven't been giving them and you need to start giving them to your kids. Or maybe you got them and you didn't even know it. And, it's, and, and you know that it's helped you in your life. But I want to talk to dads and really everybody that these are things that you can begin to give to your kids. And the earlier you start them, the better off your kids and your family will be. So let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 21. As I said, we have this blessing that's being stolen. Isaac is old. His eyes are weak. He couldn't see. So he calls his older son Esau and he says to him, my son, come. And I want to give you the blessing. But he says, before we do that, I want you to go out and I want you to get an animal and I want you to make me some good red stew and um, it must have been kind of a father-son thing that they had, that he loved his meal. He loved his meat. He loved the stew that he made, and they shared this. And he said, before we do this, before I celebrate you and pass this blessing, I don't want you to go do that. Well, um, <clears throat> Jacob and his mother hear about that, so she starts conniving. He says, what I want you to do, we're going to trick your father. He's old. He can't see. He's not with it anymore, so... She gets, his, she gets her son and she begins to put the animal skins on him. Why? Well, because Esau was really hairy. I mean, the dude must have been a beast. I mean, you know what I mean? I, just hair all over him because she puts an animal skin on him. And we're going to see here that his dad feels him. And he goes, you know, okay, must be Esau. So the dude must have just been one burly guy. So that's what's happening. There's this deception taking place. Verse 21 says this now, Isaac said to Jacob, please come closer so that I can touch you, my son. Now remember, this is uh, Esau, he thinks it's Esau, but it's actually Jacob. 
So he says, come and let me touch you, my son. I want to know, are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father Isaac. And when he touched him, he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. And again, he asked, he goes, man, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob replies, yes, I am. So we got lying. We got deception. We got all this intrigue and drama going on here. Well, then he said, serve me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. So Jacob brought it to him. His mother had made it and he ate. And he brought with him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and he kissed him. And when Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and he said, ah, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Now he begins to speak the blessing in verse 28. Now may God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land and abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. And those who curse you will be cursed. And those who bless you will be blessed. Now what's interesting, this is to, the, the father thinks it's to Esau, but it's actually to Jacob. And what's interesting is he speaks this blessing. It's almost a prophetic blessing. He's speaking it to Jacob, who will be the father of Joseph, who all of this happens to. So we begin to see that this blessing was kind of transgenerational for him. But I want you to see the components of what makes it up. And uh, uh, these five points really come from John Trent and uh, Gary Smalley. And uh, they talked about this thing, the blessing. But I want to challenge us today as fathers, as parents, as people, to kind of take on this idea of being a person that blesses those around us. Notice the first thing is meaningful touch. In Genesis 27, 21, Isaac says to him, please come near me so I can touch you. There's this idea, he wants to touch him, and then he wants to lay his hands on him. A physical touch in a marriage and family is an important tool for strengthening bonds. See, when you begin to experience touch, when you begin to become affectionate in positive ways, they increase this production of oxytocin, which is uh, basically it's a hormone that's a key player in establishing uh, and maintaining bonds beyond people. Have you heard of this thing that, I, if you're a young father here, you've probably heard about this, that you take your shirt off and you just hold your son or your daughter and you begin to bond with them much like the mother does? I remember when we picked up Joel back in 1983, our oldest son, uh, who's adopted. So we had to go to Sand, uh, South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota, to pick him up. He was three weeks old. We go there, we pick him up, we spend a day or two there getting paperwork done, and then we get on a plane and come back to California. He was great. The plane ride, he started to get a little bit fussy, and Trina's wrestling with him and everything, and then we get in the car, and we head back to our home, and he gets a little bit more anxious and everything. I mean, this is a total change for him in about 48 hours. And then pretty soon, 
We get home and he's just going ballistic and berserk and we're trying to feed him. Trina's trying to feed him. Trina's trying to take care of him. She's a mom. It's her first child, her firstborn. And she's just going crazy and he's getting worse and worse. So this is 1983. I hadn't heard of this, but I just rip off. I just take off my shirt and I said, honey, can I take him? And she's, yeah, go ahead. And so she gives him to me and I'm holding him and I'm patting him on the back. And I mean, he's asleep in five minutes. And so now she's crying. And I go, dear, what's wrong, man? I just, you know, I've, I saved the day. Yeah, that's, I know, but I wanted to, you know, he doesn't love me or whatever she said, something like that. There's something powerful about touch, about meaningful touch, about skin on skin. It's important, loved ones, that when you do this, that we stay consistent with it because it's so normal. It's so natural when they're little kids. I mean, I'm not going to rip off my shirt now for my 36-year-old son, you know, and I I know you've had a bad week, Joel. Just, (laughs) I, I, I haven't done that yet, but if he needs it, I'm his man. But as they get older, it really is easy to begin to move away from that, isn't it? And we don't have those, those physical, meaningful connections. And that's so important that we find new ways to do it, that we stay connected. This isn't true for everybody, but there is research that's shown that a girl, that when, if she's had an affectionate father and all of a sudden he begins to move away from her because of the uncomfortableness, or if she's never had a father that would connect with her physically, there's this tendency, this propensity to begin to look for it in other ways from other boys. In their book, Communicating Through Touch, Touching During Parent-Infant Interactions, uh, doctors Dale M. Stack and Emily Jean, they discuss the psychological health and physical growth of children that is how dependent they are upon that in their human touch. Of the five senses, touch is developed first and informs self-awareness. You begin to understand yourself, become aware of yourself through this early touch. The human touch is important, listen to this, to the personal development of infants, as well as elders who are aged 85 and older. It isn't just newborns. Closeness in human contact not only offers affection for the population, but helps the aging population to feel veneration, connected, acknowledged, and valued. There's something powerful about this meaningful touch, loved ones, that starts from the time we're born until the dime we die. If you study the life of Jesus, what does it often say? It says things like this, and Jesus touched him, and Jesus touched her. Who were they touching? They were, Jesus was generally touching the untouchable. It was the lepers that people literally threw rocks at to keep away from them so they wouldn't catch the leprosy. He would touch people that were blind. He would touch people, all of these people that were marginalized in life, that nobody else wanted to be around or nobody else would touch. It's almost as if he was saying, I love you. I accept you. And while nobody else will, I am willing to touch you and to prove that to you. And that's going to be part of the healing process because he didn't do that with everybody. A lot of people that he would heal, he would just simply speak to. He would speak the word. But Jesus was always touching people. This meaningful touch is is so important even to me that I'm really, in the last year, I've tried to develop and make this 
a greater habit of my own life. Uh, this last week, I took my grandson Isaac home from the baseball camp that we had here. And his dad happened to be home taking care of their son, my grandson Liam, who's a little over three months old. So Liam is over there on the floor and his dad's on his hands and knees playing with him. I didn't have much time, so I ran in. I walked over there and got down on my hands and knees and I'm goo goo gooching him, you know, and, and doing all those things, those silly faces and some weird sounds. And then I'm kind of smooching on his face and then I got to run out. But as I'm getting up, I thought, I did that with my grandson. I'd already given Isaac a bunch of hugs. What about my son? And it was just that quick. And so I did what I did. I just walked over. He was on his hands and knees, and I just walked over. And I said, hey, son. (laughs) Love you, man. Have a good day. Because I just wanted to touch him. I wanted him to know that it isn't just the grandkids that needs the touch. I, I, I want my son to know that at 36, I'm, I'm still going to touch him and I'm still going to love him. The reason that's so important, friends, is because there was a long season, no, no bad issues, but I think he was pretty uncomfortable, uncomfortable with that. Now, when we're together, there's seldom a time that we don't come together and leave that we don't hug and give an I love you. There's something about it as you get older that you begin to understand time could be short. You've got to make the most of it. You've got to begin to communicate through meaningful touch because touch powerfully communicates love, care, blessing. The spoken message. It says there in chapter 27, it says, come to me, Esau, thinking it's Esau because I want to speak to you. In in 2016, fathers reported spending an average of eight hours a week with their children in communication and discussion and talking. Do you realize that's about triple the time that they did in 1965? And isn't it true? Think about this, dads. The less time you spend with your kids, a lot of times it's easier to be the kind of the martinet father that says, hey, I need you to clean your room. I need you to go do this. How come you did that? Why aren't you taking care of this? Obey your mom. And the the, the meaningful communication is simply barking out orders, trying to teach them and tell them what to do. And all of that is so important. But really, it just kind of begins to be a lecture series to the kids. And while that's needed, we need to have this time where we not only listen to what they are saying, but that we listen so that we can know what to speak into their life back and to encourage them with. There's a writer, he was a journalist for the Atlanta Constitution. Some of you may have heard of him. His name is Lewis Grizzard. Uh, Exceptional writer, funny, funny guy, and a kind of a comedian. He wrote a book. I love this title. He wrote a book called My Daddy Was a Pistol and I'm a Son of a Gun. (laughs) And and, I mean, just with a title like that, you got to read it. Well, I, I just want to take a quote from it. He says, he's talking about how he loved his daddy. He says, I love my daddy, and to love someone unconditionally as I love daddy is to remember isolated and long past moments together, to remember nuances that made such an object of love unique and impossible to replace. That is why I remember and I cherish the memories of the man's hair, his smell, his likes, his dislikes, his speech, and his idiosyncrasies. 
He had such, we had such little time together because war took him away. But then he came back for a short time before he was gone again. He never would return on a full-time basis. And maybe that's why, uh, maybe that is why each of the nuances, each of the jokes and stories, each of the memories is so precious to me. I have some pictures of my father. I have that packet of war records I have. I got the flag that was across his casket. I have this bronze star and this purple hearts in a frame and they hang on my wall. But what I don't have anymore is him. There'll be no more memories made. That is why I cling to those that I have with such tenacity. I read that and I thought, man, you know how you get to remember those things? You know how you get those things to happen in your life where you begin to remember the smell of the person? I remember the smell of my dad. You get close to them. You get close where you're talking, where there's communication, where there's face-to-face, where there's just this interaction, where there's meaningful touch, where you're talking. You're building these memories. And for us as dads, we want to be able to deposit that into our kids. I mean, Father God is the great example of doing this when he affirmed Jesus in one of his most important moments. Remember when Jesus was baptized, what did the father say to him? It says out of heaven, God spoke. And he said these three things, you're my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Well, what's so powerful about that? Well, it says that Jesus was just beginning his ministry. He's 30 years old. You know what he's been doing for 30 years? He's been working with his parents. He's been building doors. He's been building chairs. He's been doing woodwork. And now all of a sudden he makes this one step. He gets baptized. And out of the heavens, his dad just comes. Father God comes and he says, whoa, you're a great son. I'm pleased in you. I love you. Man, you're my son. He hadn't done anything. See, that's why this affirmation, that's why these meaningful spoken messages, loved ones, become so important. And you begin to do it when your kids are younger. Because if you just try and do it at the last minute, it's, it's going to be kind of a hollow ring. Well, what do you speak to your kids? What are you saying to them now, preparing them to leave? What are you saying to your spouse? It's going to build them up, make them stronger, give them a sense of hope and future. What memories are you establishing and etching on their minds and hearts so that they think of those things long after they're gone? Hear me. If you're not intentional about it, it won't happen. We're talking about this in our Friday morning. And and you know what? Every one of us in this room is going to die. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) It's true. What do you want him to say about you? What do you want your narrative to be? Because you can make it happen here. In this life, if you say, this is what I want people to remember me for. This is what I want people to know about me and to say about me. You're going to make that determination right now. You go, really? Yeah, yeah, I am. Here's how I'm talking. Let me just give you a couple of things that I'm saying to my sons now. First of all, I call my sons, Jamie and Joel, more often than not, I call them son. Why is that? It's, it's intentional. 
Hi, son, how you doing today? On a text, son, by the way. Here's what I want them to never forget. They are my son. They are a Riley. We have a relationship, and that's not going to change. And when I'm long gone, I want you to remember, no matter what has happened in the past, you are my son. That's going to give them an identity that I hope they never lose. And then to one of my sons, this is what I've said to them a number of times in the recent year. I am proud of you. To another son, I've said a number of times, I believe in you. And I won't take the time or to go into the intimacy of why I say those things to each one. But each one of those phrases are very purposeful. And I hope one son never forgets, regardless, I believe in them. And I hope my other son never forgets how proud I am of some areas of his life. Now, I don't know if you, see, that's what it means here when you have, when I'm, I'm speaking a blessing over them. I can only imagine what I would feel like if I ever had a dad that said, turned out pretty good, kid. What, what, what if you did that? with your kids, not flippant like that, but you said, wow, I'm so proud of you. The second thing is, the third thing is giving them value. Isaac was a hunter. Jacob, not so much. Isaac loved to kill and make food and do all that. Uh, Jacob really was a mama's boy. All of us are individual. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's bad, there's no bad. It's who we are. Uh, David said it this way in Psalm 139. You made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me an amazing and wonderful way. What you've done, God, is wonderful. You know what he's kind of doing? He's looking up in God and saying, whoa, look at me. <laughs> look what you've done. I am a masterpiece. I am a magnum opus of the living God. We have a hard time doing that. I do. But ultimately, what he's saying is, I'm not an accident. And he's saying, nobody else in this world is an accident because, God, you have done this incredible thing. Parents may not have planned you. You, you, you might have been, not a mistake, but a surprise. But guess what? You were never a surprise to God. Never. God wasn't sitting up there and going, oh, my gosh, how did that one slip through, you know? God says, David says, that God says that he shaped you, he's formed you, he's numbered your days, he's planned your life before you even came out of the birth canal. He knew what you would be like. He knew what your likes were, what your dislikes were. That means, loved ones, you have tremendous value. And God says, I want to give you that value. People need to hear that today. People are striving to be affirmed. They just want to know, am I all right? Am I doing a good job? They want to know they matter. They want to know their life counts, has meaning, and has significance. How do you affirm and give value to your children, to your spouse, to the people around you? First of all, I think it's attention. You affirm the value by giving them time and attention. Don't we all need attention? You can give people a great gift by simply looking at them. You know what I've noticed in the last probably 10 years is when you walk down the street, 
fewer and fewer people will actually look you in the eye. Why is that? They've got their head down. They're busy. They're rushing here and there. They've got their phone out. What an incredible gift. It says you matter to me by just giving a little bit of attention and to look at somebody and say, good afternoon. How you doing today? Man, tough day at the cashier. I saw that person. I just want you to know I appreciate what you do. Boom. You're giving them some attention. I don't know how many are watching the U.S. Open, the golf tournament that's over at Pebble Beach this week. It's probably one of the largest, greatest golf tournaments of the year. It was 20 years ago this weekend that one of the players, his name is Phil Mickelson, he's one of the greatest players of all time, and he's kind of on the back end of his career, but he's playing this weekend. Well, 20 years ago this weekend was the U.S. Open. They have it every, it's always on Father's Day weekend. They were playing in South Carolina. He was 20 years younger then. He was getting ready to have his first child. His wife, Amy, was pregnant back in Scottsdale, Arizona, and she was just about ready to bust he went to the tournament because he, this is like, everybody wants to win the U.S. Open. It's like a career maker. It'd be like if I got to go preach at the Sistine Chapel. You know what I mean? So he goes, but this is what he told. He told the reporters, he told the players, he told everybody. Uh, he actually got a beeper, and he gave it to his caddy. If you don't know what a beeper is, ask your parents. And, uh, <laughs> and this was back in the day. And uh, he said, if, if my wife beeps me that she is in labor and having this baby, I am gone. I don't care if I'm on the first hole, the 12th hole, the third hole, the 18th hole, first round, fourth round, finishing it up. I am leaving. Wow. That's a pretty amazing statement. He plays in the tournament. Uh, the story goes that Amy was back home and she had her pelvis uh, lifted up, trying to keep the baby in and from falling and going, whatever babies do, uh, as much as possible. And he actually got through the tournament. He lost to Payne Stewart by one stroke. And one of the most epic um, pictures you'll see in the U.S. Open, they almost always play it, you, got, you have Payne Stewart, the winner, walk over to Mickelson and go, you're going to be a father. <laughs> and that's like his congratulations. Phil took off, got home that night, and his wife, Amy, went into labor. That was a big story back then. They talked about it all weekend. Is this the day that she's going to go into labor? Fast forward 20 years. There's a girl that's 20 years old in a few, within a few days of where we are right now. Do you think she felt valued? Do you think that she had value placed upon her by her father? My dad was going to miss the greatest tournament of the year so he could be at my mom's bedside to see me being born. What's ironic is, is it's the one tournament that he wants to win that he's never won. Talk about sharing Value and attention. Also appreciation. When we thank people and we appreciate people, that raises their value. If you bought a home in the East Bay in the 80s or the 90s, you know the meaning of appreciation. 
Appreciation simply means to raise in value. On the other hand, if you bought a house probably sometime later in that, you know the meaning of depreciation. That means to lower in battle, uh, value. Whenever you talk, loved ones, whenever you speak to, whenever you give attention to your children, whenever you give appreciation to your children, you are raising, you're appreciating them and raising their value. See, it's so easy for us as parents to forget to say thank you to them because they're just kids. We forget to say thank you for doing this and thank you for doing that. When as we do that, we can begin to raise their value. And the last thing is picture a special, the fourth thing is picture a special future. Genesis 27, 27 through 9, what we see is his father is talking to him. He says, this is what I see in the future for you. This is what I'm believing and speaking and blessing your future with. How many of us as parents begin to do that with our kids? They begin to say, I want to be a policeman. Oh, okay. And you begin to tap into that. Let's go to the police station. Let's go meet a couple of Creekside police. Let's get to know them. And you begin to feed that and tap into that. And you begin to picture, just think, you could be in one of those police cars. See, Proverbs 22, 6 says this, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is probably one of the most misunderstood, misused verses in the Bible. Because many people think it's a promise. Okay, my kid's going to grow up. He's probably going to rebel a little bit or she's going to rebel, but they'll come back. Because that's the promise that God makes here. No, that's not a promise. Here's what it is. It's a proverb of probability. We see many kids that come back to Christ after they kind of go off the path for a while. But here's the deal. We also see a lot of people that never come back. And we have to realize what this is really saying. God isn't promising your kids to come back because your kids, just like you and me, have a free will. It's not a proverb. Excuse me, it's not a promise. It's a proverb of probability. He says, train up a child in the way that he or she should go. In the way, in the Hebrews, literally means a natural bent. That you begin to lead them into those natural bents, the giftedness, the abilities, the talents that they have, those things that they're good at. In other words, if your child is good at athletes, athletics, steer them toward athletics. If they're good musically, steer them toward music. If they're good with numbers, by all means, steer them toward math. If they're good with finances, please steer them toward me because I will help them. But you see, it's not what you want them to do. It's not what you hope they'll become. It's what are the natural tendencies? What are the bents in their life? Here's the key. Let them be them. Because you're spending time with them, because you're listening to them, because you're watching them, you begin to understand the differences between who you are and who they are. <laughs> I, was, I, I go to most of Isaac's baseball games, and, uh, and I just watch him, and one time last year, I said, come on, Isaac, do this. And his dad turns around and says, dad, just cool it. Okay. Helped you, but okay. So now this year, I was watching him, and he's out there at second base, and he's got his mitt on his head. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? He'll probably be a really good barber. And... Uh, <laughs> 
But, but because you know what, as much as I hope he does really well in sports, I can't push him and his, his dad doesn't push him. But I gotta, you got to find out what your kid's bents are. See, they have a bent and you can't bend it. You can only hope to guide them and lead them and show them where they're strong. See, Jacob blessed his, was blessed by his father, Isaac. And then later we see in Genesis where he does the same thing. How does he bless his sons? He's got these 12 sons and he just begins to speak over them. He blesses them about their character. He blesses them about their future. Do you sit down with your kids and maybe you just go, man, son, dad, dad, yeah, but uh, you, I, I'm the dad here, okay? <laughs> but you just go, son, your teacher called today and said that you helped this other kid when they were being bullied. You know what that just shows me? You have this incredible heart of protection and compassion for people. Or you see your girl, somebody gets hurt, and she runs over to him. And you begin to speak into that. Wow, you are so caring. You're so observant. You notice these other children. What a blessing you are. And you begin to speak those things of not only who they are, but who they can become. Here's the last thing. Have an active commitment. It's part of the blessing Isaac is speaking into his son's life until the day that he dies. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love knows no limits to its endurance and to its trust. There's no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. Have you ever noticed how we all fail in life? We all fall. We all make mistakes. One of the most important things you can do is to teach people, teach your kids how to forgive themselves. If you want to be a good parent, when your children fall, don't rub it in, rub it out. Don't put it in their face. Say, we're going to get through this. We're going to move beyond this. Give them another chance. That is the gospel of grace. That's what your heavenly father gives you and me, isn't it? Chance after chance after chance. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Well, PT, what about tough love? Use it. But see, what a lot of parents do is they, they use tough love, but then in the process of using tough love, they blow up the relational bridge. Keep the bridge open so that person, that, 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 that child or that spouse can always walk back. Because you want an active commitment working in your marriage, in your family. Because I'm going to tell you something. You know what? You know what your kids are going to learn from you parents? They're going to learn what it means to walk in forgiveness. They're going to learn what it means to walk through difficult, tough weeds. They are going to see God's grace and forgiveness lived out in and through you. Now, as a father today, maybe you're feeling a little frustrated, a little guilty, maybe even like a failure like so many of us do at times. Maybe you're just worried over your kids. You might wonder, what in the world does a good parent look like? I don't know, but you just know. Here's what it is. You're giving your best. You're loving them. You're touching them. You're listening to them. 
But let me say it as simply as I can. You know what the secret to being a good parent is? It's growing to be a more godly man or woman. You want to be a better parent? You want to be a better spouse? Then be a better person. I don't mean just good, but I mean one who has been bowled over by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that begins to shape everything that you say and everything that you do. You want to become a great parent, a great partner, a great professional person? Start by being a godly person and say, I'm going to grow, not in religion, but I'm going to grow in Jesus. Who's your model for parenting? Dr. Spock? You know, Oprah, Miss Feelgood, I like her. Somebody else? Here's who needs to be your model. God. Study the life of Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, this is what he was always doing. He's always trying to bring out the best in people. And can I tell you something? That's what you want to do with your kids what you want to do with your spouse. You want to speak into him. You want to bring out the best. How can you do that? I'm committed to believing it's this way, that you're spending time with God. You spend time and you're getting fathered by your heavenly father and you'll begin to go, oh yeah, wow, he's speaking. That's what I need to speak to my kids. Yeah, he forgives me. Oh, I got to forgive. And you begin to live out the lessons that you're living. Would you stand with me? Would you just take a moment there and think about maybe one of these areas where you just go, man, I just kind of feel weak in it and I want to grow in it because I just want to be the best parent for my kids. I want to be the most godly, not religious, but I just want to be this parent that makes godly right decisions to the best of my ability all the time. And then for some of us, maybe we just, some of us might need to lighten up. Laugh a little more. Some of us might need to quit laughing so much and get a little stricter. I don't know where you are, but God does. And you know what? If you listen to him, he can begin to speak into your life. Because he's a good, good father.